When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sports Legends of the Carolinas. I'm your host, Scott Fowler, sports columnist for the Charlotte Observer, where I've worked since 1994. And as always in this podcast, I'm traveling across the Carolinas, seeking out some of my favorite sports legends and asking them to tell the real stories behind their rise to iconic status. For this episode, we're back in our podcast studio in Charlotte, and I'm sitting across from Debbie Antonelli, the longtime ESPN basketball broadcaster who played college basketball under another legend, Kay Yao at NC State, and who now lives in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Antonelli won the Women's Basketball Coaches Association Mel Greenberg Media Award, which recognizes a member of the media who has best displayed a commitment to women's basketball. Debbie has broadcast college and pro basketball games for the past 35 years and has become so well known for it that she became a member of the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in 2022. In addition to her heavy travel schedule, Debbie is also a wife and the mother to three boys, including Frankie, who has Down syndrome and recently graduated from Clemson. Debbie's charity work includes an annual free throw marathon where she makes 100 free throws every hour for 24 straight hours in her driveway. By doing that and soliciting contributions for every free throw made, the 58-year-old Antonelli has raised close to a million dollars for the Special Olympics. Don't forget to pre-order your copy of the Sports Legends Coffee Table book at sportslegendsbook.com. And here's Debbie Antonelli next on Sports Legends of the Carolinas. Debbie, welcome to the show. Scott, it's so good to see you. Um, I'm so honored that you selected me to spend some time with, and uh, it was it's fun seeing you remembering some great times that we had back in our Kentucky days when you and I were just getting started as a couple of young pups out there. Boy, we were, weren't we? <laughs> Debbie and I have known each other for, we were just counting up, but like 35 years or something. Um, back in our early 20s, we first got to know each other a little bit. You were Debbie Mulligan at the time, I believe. At Kentucky, I was a very green beat reporter at the University of Kentucky. Eddie Sutton was in the process of uh, getting fired <laughs> soon, and Rick Pitino getting hired. And uh, what were you doing at that time at Kentucky? When we first met, you're right, early 20s, I was interning to fulfill my grad school requirements from Ohio University. And then uh, I was the first director of marketing in the athletic department at Kentucky. It's such a different role and job back then than what that title would mean today. 
But uh, Sam Newton hired me right before he hired Rick Patino. So <laughs> I I just recently shared that story with Coach Patino because I covered Iona in the men's tournament this year. Yeah, right. That was, uh, I mean, the in the marketing department, it wasn't quite as fancy then at that point. Tell a little bit about that office that you had down deep in, uh, in the bowels of that Coliseum. The Memorial Coliseum. Uh, my first office was underneath the bleachers, literally. And after a game, Coke would seep through the the bleachers onto, the you know, our office floor and desk. We had to cover everything every night if there was an event in there. But I don't think people uh, would realize that back then the things that we would do um, as interns and or um, as a director of marketing. Uh, certainly, corporate sponsorship was different. Um, licensing was different. Uh, there was uh, a whole different way of doing things that were so, was so new and it was all uh, emerging. But uh, it was a different time. Uh, there weren't any TV networks and things like that outside of ESPN maybe being just 10 years old. And uh, it, it was definitely a different landscape. It's not what it is today, that's for sure. At that time, Debbie, were you thinking your career path ultimately would be to become an athletic director? That's exactly it, Scott. I, I was... Um, I came out of grad school from Ohio University with my master's in sports administration, and that was the career choice that I thought um, was going to be my path. I wanted to be an AD. And then uh, my first year at Kentucky, the local cable company came in to meet with us and said, we think we can produce sports, but we're not sure. And we said, well, can you do a women's basketball game? And Gene Filippo said, you know, do you want to do it? I was 23 at the time. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, I'd like to try being the analyst. Now, keep in mind, during this time, there weren't any women's games on. There weren't any women calling games. I didn't see anybody uh, like me that was doing that. So it was a new venture, and a new venture for me seemed pretty exciting, but it also fulfilled my love for the game and kind of you know pacified that passion for basketball. So I started doing games on the air, and then I was running this parallel path with wanting to be an AD. I had some basketball coaching offers. Wasn't sure I wanted to be a basketball coach. Uh, I was trying to figure it all out. And so calling the games on the air really fulfilled that void. And, it, and uh, I just kept doing that until I made a decision to, after I went to Ohio State, to stick with broadcasting full time. You would sometimes do games for free for $50. Yes. Uh, I don't know how difficult it was to make it work. I mean, weren't you a freelancer for a really long time? I did freelance for a long time, yes. Uh, and when I first got started, like I said, there weren't any games on. And so if there was somebody that was willing to broadcast or if we could expand the local cable to do some high school games or once they figured out that they could produce some sports, then we started to find other opportunities. And then um, you'll re remember the legend Jim Host got involved and then we started selling baseball and, and some other sports to get on television. And... Um, it just grew from there, got to a point where we had one kid and, and then, you know, the next kid comes. And after the first kid, I was working as my oldest son, Joey, I was working at Ohio State and I really didn't think that I could travel and do my job with a baby like I was doing it. And how crazy is that? We sort of have more kids and I travel more than ever inside <laughs> hoops. But uh, it just seemed to work, Scott. You know, we figured it out. My husband is great and we just figured it out. It wasn't something that was simple. It was definitely had its challenges, especially when our, our second son was born. But, um, you know, I have great energy and I had a huge opportunity to give it a try. 
And this is my 35th year. I just finished my 35th college basketball season on the air. And the first 28 uh, were uh, without security because I didn't have a, a full-time position with any network. I worked for all the networks with um, no minimum number of games. So, you know, if the coaches went to a spring meeting and they said, you know what, we really don't like Debbie Antonelli on the air anymore, I could have been out. So ha- now I have some security. What is your exact position now? I'm full-time staff for the SPN. Mm-hmm. So it took me a long time to get that. You know, yeah. for the longest time, you, and you got to know how the, the women's side was growing, right? There weren't any games on. So I'm starting to do some games before there were any games on. And there were times during my first 28 years where I'm doing 85 women's basketball games and ESPN's only doing 85 as a company. So there wasn't enough inventory for me to make that switch. I like to say, I think early on, I might've been the only person that ever told them no. If I already had a game, the loyalty factor to the packages that I had already committed to was really important to me. So even if ESPN called, I didn't just you know drop this game and go over there and do that one because they called. And so I feel very fortunate that you know all the times that I said no, um, eventually worked out where they, they did have enough inventory and they did decide that um, they were going to give me an opportunity to be full-time. Yeah, Jeff, I thought that Notre Dame was way too casual in the first half. I didn't think they played the kind of defense that they needed to play, but in the second half they turned it around. They went on a 21-10 run because they were able to defensive rebound and get out on the break. What is a typical month like for Debbie Antonelli? I don't like to count how much I was gone during that time because I don't want to lose my mother of the year status. (laughs) Uh, No one's going to ever win that award away from me. I always feel like I'm going to win that. Uh, But um, just this year in a small sample, I think I was home 14 nights from Christmas until the end of uh, the final four of the men, the men's final four. So that's because we're empty nesters now. But back when we did have kids at home, we always had somebody at the house every day after school. Uh, I asked my husband if he would just make sure that he was there for dinner and bedtime, uh, even if I couldn't be there. And there's great peace of mind in knowing that you have really good people around you helping. Um, and we had that with uh, the people that we had, you know, staying at home. I never put my kids in daycare. It just wasn't a choice. It cost us a lot of, uh, more money. We didn't have the money, but I, I felt more secure being on the road as much as I was having someone at home um, that would you know, just be there when they got home from school. And it's definitely different when mom travels versus the dad. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way it is. I don't know how else to explain it. Um, There would be times when, you know, my husband was great, but he might mix up the lunches or the teachers always knew when I wasn't home. And I pretty much was very transparent because of my middle son, Frankie, when uh, my middle son has Down syndrome. So um, advocating for him was a full-time, you know, I might get off a plane and go over to school and have lunch. And I wanted to make sure I had a presence at the school just to keep an eye on things and to make sure that, you know, he was getting the services and the appropriate uh, education that he deserved. Um, So that, that created some extra challenges, but I like to say I've never had a day off. I don't know if I have had one. And I I live near the beach and the day of going to the beach with a chair and a book has still escaped me. I have not been able to do that yet, but I hope that's in my near future. <laughs> <laughs> 
the, tell us more about uh, Frankie and sort of the challenges of uh, Kay Yao, I believe. Maybe you can tell us, start sure. with that a little bit as to how she, I think, was uh, instrumental at one point in this journey. You know what, Scott, when Frankie was born, uh, we did not know, my husband and I did not know that he had Down syndrome. The doctor came into my room finally on the third time. Each time he came in, he's like, how do you feel? Uh, did Frankie look like Joey? I'm like, no, he, he didn't. You know, uh, uh, how you doing? Uh, good. He said, um, we're going to run a few more tests and I'll be back in. It was almost like now when I look back at it, I, I think he was afraid to come in and we had already called every family member that, you know, how you call when the baby's here and we didn't know. And then uh, I remember the doctor coming in and telling me that he was showing signs and symbols of having Down syndrome. And I knew exactly what that was. I think I went into shock, honestly. Uh, it was very scary. It was his health was a concern. And you, you feel like your future passes in front of you. You don't realize at the time what an incredible gift and that God has chosen us. My mother said to me all the time for a long time, you didn't get Frankie for something you did wrong. You have Frankie for something you did right. And that was always encouraging and inspiring to me because, you know, I, I at one point, um, you know, I think there was some depression and I think there was some, you know, empathy and, and there was some pitiful moments. And I'm not going to shy away from those now because I know uh, what we've been able to do and, and where Frankie is and how he's thriving right now. And he's a, you know, he's a college graduate from Clemson's life program. It's absolutely amazing when you go 25 years back to where we were and what today parents have to look forward to because 25 years ago, even at that point, the doctor asked me about an institution. I was asked that question, Mm. which seems sends chills down my spine to think about it, that, that, People are forced to have to make a decision like that and would even consider a decision like that. That certainly wasn't anything we considered at all. Um, But I did think that my career might be over and uh, I was concerned about my husband. I was concerned about our two and a half year old. You know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to navigate this world we weren't prepared for? We had no knowledge. Uh, And um, it was staggering uh, to say the least. At this point, I had already resigned from Ohio State prior to Frankie being born. We had moved to Dayton. I was giving uh, the radio and TV a a go full time and to see if we could make it work. And um, we lived in Dayton and my husband was working for Jack Nicholas and a property that Jack had created in Dayton. And we were just just trying to figure it out. And about nine months in, so I'd started back to work, NC State and KL because Frankie was born in 97 mm. in the 98 final four NC state makes it KL finally gets there mm. last of the good guys. Like <laughs> there's not a soul in the game that did not appreciate or like coach. Yao. You never heard a negative thing. She cared. She treated us as people first. That's the way she expected us to treat everyone else. She was an incredible teacher. She never yelled. The Never court, the court was her classroom. Her motivation was more uh, around disappointment. Like, you know, I can remember going into the locker room at halftime and it would kind of be like, do you guys, do you, you think you could get your rebound better? You know, and <laughs> do, you, do you think you could like, 
can, can you stop turning the ball over? Uh-huh. And you know, everybody's going, yes, you know, yes, yeah. yes, of course. And then by the time you get done, you're like, yeah, we can do it. Yeah, yeah we got you, Coach. Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> and so they make it to the final four. Where was it? In Kansas City. Okay. Louisiana Tech is who they play in the semis. And Louisiana Tech absolutely demolishes them. I mean, just wipes them out. They lost by 30. It wasn't even close. And it was it was really heartbreaking to watch because that group of kids had given Coach Yao something that she had desperately wanted and to do it with one of her teams. And she always dreamed about taking one of her teams to the Final Four. And so everyone was elated. I mean, we were just so thrilled. Yeah. Were you broadcasting or were you I, just there? No, I was I was on the Westwood the One radio okay. call of the game. So I had been calling games all season, but I didn't have NC State on my schedule. So when we got to the Final Four, obviously, I mean, I have a relationship with Coach Al. Uh, I had a great relationship with her. Uh, and we get to the Final Four and we do our media responsibilities, you know, the interviews and all the stuff that come with the pregame and everything we do with Westwood One. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm talking to her and, and I've been talking to her, but she knew that I was struggling because she just knew. They get wiped out by 30. The next day, this is the first year that the NCAA gives you a day in between the semis and the finals. Because if you remember, the women's tournament used to be semis and finals back to back. Okay, so now you got this day in between and they created a senior all-star game. So I'm going to the senior all-star game to watch. I set my stuff on press row and I go see a friend up in the stands. And when I come back, she happened to be sitting right next to me. It was total fate Mm -hmm. that she sat next to me. So we first started talking about the game and I, I felt terrible for how badly they had played and then she asked me how I was doing. And I said, oh, you know, I'm doing fine. And she said, no, really, how are you doing? And it was that deeper question that brought all the emotion forward. And it was a conversation that lasted the whole game, Scott. Honestly, neither one of us watched the game. The conversation went and started sort of like this. I bet finding out you have a child with special needs is like finding out that you have cancer. It's not something you were prepared for. You don't have the answers. You don't know why. And then she goes through these incredible steps of first you um, nurse the hurt. You know, you're, you're sorry. Then you curse the hurt. You're mad. Then you rehearse where the empathy comes. And then you reverse. You make a choice that you know I'm going to put a game plan together and I'm going to decide that I'm going to beat cancer. And I'm going to be the best mom of a child with special needs. I'm going to be Frankie's best mom that I can be. And that nine months in after he was born was really an incredible turning point for me. I knew how much Coach Al cared. And uh, I found out just recently, like a, a year ago, she had a friend in the special education department at NC State. And when Frankie was born, she called this friend and said, hey, I need to talk to you. Can you please meet me at Pullen Park? I want to meet, you know, in a private place away. And this this person who's still in the special education department told me this story. She said, Coach Al said that she wanted to know from an expert, how am I supposed to help Debbie? What do I say? How do I handle it? How can I help her? What's the right verbiage? How am I not offensive? But what does she need? What can I tell her? 
And uh, I just learned that mm. all these years later. I used that story one time to introduce her because everyone could look at her numbers and all of the Hall of Fames and Naismith and 737 wins. And I could go on and on about her decorated career. But really, when you tell a story like that about a player who's been 20, almost 20 years removed from playing and mm. to have a 30 plus year relationship with her like I did, I feel so blessed. But you could pick anybody that played at NC State and sit them in this chair, and I guarantee you'd get something very similar. That's how special it was. And not everyone can say that about their coaches or their college experience. And yet, to go back to your own career, wasn't isn't it true that Kay Yao wasn't necessarily going to offer you a scholarship at first? <laughs> no, she wasn't. <laughs> You're right. Uh, I had papers from Jennifer Alley in North Carolina sitting on my kitchen table for two weeks. Really? Hmm. Uh, I wanted. I went to Kay Yao's camps. I learned um, when I was 13. My parents took me to Reynolds Coliseum and I sat on the railing right across from the bench. And that's the first time that I learned girls played basketball in college <laughs> and you could get a scholarship to do it. Had no knowledge because we had moved from New York, upstate New York. And I, I did not know. I had no idea. And once I saw that and watched those teams, as much as I loved playing all sports and I did play all sports through high school, but seeing that and thinking, I think I could do that. Like that could be me. So how do I make myself good enough that she'll want me? And every decision I made moving forward was to try to um, be good enough so that she would pick me. Hmm. And uh, I went to her camps. I went to every clinic. I studied what they did. Uh, I was uh, 5'10", 125 pounds, skinny. I could barely bench the bar. You know, it was just, but I could shoot it. And I kept believing if I could just shoot it well enough, maybe she would pick me. Well, I was recruited by just about everybody in North Carolina, with the exception of a couple of places. But um, Jennifer Alley offered me a scholarship. And Kay and had told me that there was another person that they had offered a scholarship to and that they were going in a different direction. Well, that was that really hard to hear. That was yeah. hard to hear. Yeah. It was very upsetting. And uh, that's how North Carolina scholarship ended up on my kitchen table. Mm. And I, I had great respect for Jennifer Alley, who had done an incredible job. But uh, also my um, high school arch nemesis was going to North Carolina and she was a great player, Pam Leak. If mm. anybody's listening that remembers Pam Leak, a shout out to Pam. Uh, they beat us in the state championship in high school. And, where, and where did you go to high school? I went to Cary High and Pam went to Chapel Hill High School. Oh, okay. And <laughs> Pam's dad, Ernie, and my dad, Paul, worked together at I, IBM hmm. in the Research Triangle. That's so yeah. um, Pam and I have become, we had become acquaintance, acquaintances since then. But uh, I was like, I, I'll never play. She's so much better than me. If I go to Carolina, I don't want to sit on the bench, but I have a full scholarship offer. And then something changed. The person that they offered the scholarship to didn't accept it. So now that spot is open. And I remember Coach Al calling me and I was kind of like, well, you know, because you're feeling like you didn't want me. You, right. know, you didn't really yeah. want me. Yeah, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, a week ago, you didn't want me. <laughs> you didn't want me. But now and I'm like, well, I got I can go to North Carolina, you know, and and I'm thinking, man. If I end up at Chapel Hill and we, when we get to play NC State, 
Yeah. Um, and I loved everything about North Carolina. Obviously, it's a wonderful place, but um, Kayao was the selling point there. You know, that was my dream. And it took a minute for her to, to reconvince me <laughs> that, yeah. that, you know, all the things that she's like, you have forgotten in a week or two <laughs> that uh, reasons why you wanted to come here. And and uh, it was like I, I remember the call it was kind of like, Debbie, haven't you grown up wanting to play here? And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, isn't this your dream to suit up at NC State? And I'm like, yeah. You know, I played it yeah. kind of cool, you know, and, yeah, right. and, she, and she's like, Hard well, yeah. yeah. And then I was like, yes, yeah, uh, definitely. <laughs> uh, yes, Coach Al. I, I, and uh, it was obviously you can look back at a lot of decisions you make when you're young, but obviously that's an impactful one for me. And uh, I learned so much from her. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Debbie, let's talk a little bit more about after that conversation with Kay Yao and you you turned a, a corner mentally, it sounds like. And but then there was just the hard work day to day that you and your husband Frank and Frankie all did together and and his uh, two brothers as well. So what did that look like? And was it difficult sometimes to have teachers or whomever else was in this with you? buy into it and not be apathetic and say, we're going to put him over here. Well, every child deserves an education. And when you have a child with special needs, it is a incredibly challenging world to navigate when you don't understand it. Thankfully, my husband and I had experience with education and just, you know, trying to do the right thing. So when we would come together for IEP meetings, you know, I could only take so much of he can't, he won't, he doesn't, he's not going to. And I'd be like, you do not know my child and you do not understand the things that I see or believe and hope for him. And when we were in elementary school, the biggest piece of criteria for me for a teacher was willingness You didn't have to have a lot of acronyms in front of your name or after your name. You didn't have to have special education perfect training or, you know, be a master in something. To me, it was, are you a good person and are you willing to try? That was the number one thing for me. So when we would come together for our meetings and I could call a meeting anytime I wanted, and I did call a lot of meetings because (laughs) I, 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 I learned so much from my basketball journey, being in the gym with some of the most incredible teachers and communicators and leaders. You know, I, I'm sitting in practice and I'm listening to Pat Summit. I've experienced Kay Yao. Uh, I'm in the gym and I'm listening to Coach K. Uh, I, I'm in the gym listening to Rick Patino. I mean, I could go on and on. I could name drop you 35 years worth of incredible basketball people, coaches, administrators, and teachers, and the way they communicated. And I decided that, you know what, I'm the head coach. I'm going to be the head coach of our team and everyone on the team has a role and I'm going to treat it just like I would if I was the head coach. And um, that's what I did. And so when we would go to meetings, I would, it was really hard for me, Scott, to remove the emotion from it. There were times when I just said, stop, I'm going to go outside for five minutes and I'm going to let you all think about what you just said. 
and then I'm going to come back. I mean, I would do stuff like that, or I'd, uh, I, I was just very direct. Um, and my husband is a very handsome Italian, but he can give that hairy eyeball with his arms crossed. And I would say sometimes, Frank, just stare at him. he kicked me under the table several times like okay that's enough okay like but um there's no way that i was going to sacrifice my son in the process of you trying to figure out what you're supposed to be doing Mm. right there is an iep it's not a cookie cutter there could be 15 kids in a special education classroom with 15 different ieps so we're all not doing the same things at the same time and to manage that as a teacher is really challenging. So I get that and the paperwork that comes with it. But I'm here to tell you that, look, I'm here to help. Like I'm a resource. What do you need? How can I help you do your job better? There's a wide variety of things that I would do. But I also will give you one quick story. Middle school sucks. (laughs) It sucks for all kids. I hate it. It I hated it for all three of mine. But when you have Frankie and you're in middle school, this is a really challenging time for kids. And my worst nightmares were always that somebody was going to pick on him, take advantage of him, not include him. Uh, And he is a handsome, smart, athletic, friendly, kind, just happens to have Down syndrome. It never defined who he was. That was our attitude. And that's the attitude that we would use as a prevailing attitude in every meeting that we had. And that's why willingness was so important. But this one particular sixth grade exit teacher going to be back next year. And I said to the teacher, after everyone left, it was just her and the administrator, everyone else left. And I said, you got to pick up your game and I'm here to help you. Okay. You're young, but I think you could be a really good teacher. Now, how can I help you? Now, this is a parent, right? I'm saying this. So it is could be considered way across the line. But I'm like, this. you got to know that I'm not mama bear and I'm not a helicopter, okay? But I will be a snowplow, okay? So I will plow my way through and you will have to get out of the way if you're not going to be on the team. So I'm just telling you, these are the parameters. Like a head coach, this is the discipline and this is the expectation, okay? If you can't do it, just tell me now, <laughs> all right? Because- It'd be better serve both of us. And the administrator is sitting right there while I'm doing this. So it's not like I'm just going, I'm telling the person in charge the same things. So seventh grade starts. I was very hands-on, but I would wait a couple of weeks before I would go up the beginning of the school year because I wanted everyone to get acclimated. And I did. I wanted my son to be acclimated. He can do this, and this is what he's going to do. And if he doesn't do it, then you let me know. And anything with an on-off switch, he would lose, which would be devastating for him. So think about it. Mm. TV, computer, phone. Oh, on-off yeah. switch. It's the most effective punishment. Yeah. Taking it all away. All right. So two weeks in, I'm walking into the seventh grade hall, and I'm walking next to a teacher. And it's great excitement that day because everyone's getting their lockers, right? Now, I remember when you're in sixth grade, you get a locker. But in elementary school, you don't have a locker. Okay. So... He's like, yeah, everybody's getting their lockers. And I said, well, where, where's um, Frankie's class lockers? Oh, they, they didn't get them. I said, why not? Oh, well, we didn't have enough. So I said, hold on a second. So let me get this straight. So all the kids got lockers, but the kids in the special education classroom did not get them because you don't have enough. Okay. 
And he, as soon as it came out of his mouth, he knew that he was like, oh, I made a big mistake. So I go knock on the door. I said, can you please come outside for a second? So I bring her outside in the hallway. And I said, did these kids not get a locker? No. Why? There weren't enough. I said, I told you that if you needed help and that this would be an example of something that you should fight for, you should have let me know before because I would come up here and I would make sure that every one of these kids gets a locker, not just Frankie, but all the other kids. And she said, well, I ordered cubbies. They're going to have cubbies. And I said, you realize cubbies are elementary school. These kids are in middle school. Okay. So I said, please don't make me come up here and have to kick your ass. And then I turned, I realized as it came out of my mouth very quietly, cause I was in the hallway that, oh my goodness, I just threatened a teacher. So she said, no, 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 no. She said, no, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to solve it. We'll try to solve it. Okay. So obviously I crossed the line. So I left, I go home and I realize. I should not have said that. I'm probably going to get banned from the school. <laughs> They're probably going to send the police over to my house. I just threatened a teacher. So uh, the next day on her wish list, she wanted one of those, you know, 80 cubic foot um, refrigerators that you keep in your classroom. So the next day, here I come down the hallway with a dolly with a refrigerator, wheeling it down the hall right into the classroom. And that's sort of the uh, genesis of how I did business. <laughs> <laughs> I did have two teachers and a bus driver fired. Uh, I never felt guilty about that because that was not my choice. That was theirs. Not this teacher, though. The one you're speaking of. Not this of. one. Yeah. She quit on her own. Mm, okay. <laughs> you were an advocate. Yes. And you brought a refrigerator. <laughs> and I well, did they up. ever get lockers? They uh, they did get lockers. Okay. Because I was thinking it was they would. Yeah. very important part of the social part of well, what they do. They yeah. need to be in the hallway with the other kids, yeah. having conversation, learning how to use their locker and understanding time management. It's much more than having a locker. Right. It's you know? part of the experience exactly. of middle school, right? Yeah. yeah well, that's so a great story. Let's talk basketball for one second. Because you've covered so many games. So tell me, first of all, of 35 years worth of broadcasting, two or three of the top games you've <laughs> ever broadcast. Wow. Well, I get this question quite a bit, you know, because when you've been on the air for 35 years, that's a long time for anyone, especially a woman in sports. Mm -hmm. So I'm incredibly blessed and grateful and never take it granted at all. Not one time I've ever taken it for granted. I've never lost my passion for it. I, I love it. I have been on several milestone games. I've been very fortunate. Jackie Styles breaking the NCAA scoring record. Basketball career scoring leader with 3,133 points from SMS, Miss Jackie Styles. Pat Summit winning 900 and then winning number 1,000. I was on the call for those. Tonight, we have been truly fortunate to witness one of the greatest accomplishments in basketball history. Pat Head Summit's 1,000th career coaching victory. Obviously, I want to thank the administration for giving their commitment a long time ago before it was a popular thing to do to women's basketball and what a difference it made. Gino Ariema crossing 1,000. I was on the call for that. Win number 1,000. 
season in the legendary career of Gino Auriemma. Tara Vanderveer passing Pat Summit to become the all-time winningest coach. I was on the call for that. Very long to have a major impact on a ball game. Oh, Fran, another pickoff. Do pick it, off. Fran. Here comes Belibi. Fran Belibi, you better believe it, baby. Um, and then, you know, growing up in the ACC, I wasn't sure I'd ever get, a call, get to call ACC men's basketball. It was something I'd always hoped that I could do. I grew up on Bones McKinney and... Billy Packer and, yeah. you know, Marty Packer and Thacker, Packer and Thacker mm-hmm. Marty Brenneman yeah. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I listened to those guys and I always thought the role of an announcer was to teach. So I've always tried to do that in my broadcasts. But uh, most recently, being on the call of Coach K's last three home games, including that Duke Carolina game, which was um, we had a dual cast with um, ACC Network, and uh, I got to call the game with Wes Durham, who I grew up with, and Mark Packer. Final fours, five national championships, three Olympic gold medals, one legendary career. Ladies and gentlemen, your head coach, Mike Krzyzewski. And so um, in the course of that game and that emotion and that experience, something in sport that I'm not sure we will ever see again and getting to call a Duke Carolina game, which was just like, I get the chills thinking about it right now. It is so, um, so amazing to think. And that was my third game that day because I had a doubleheader, uh, the semifinals in Greensboro for the women's ACC tournament. So I called three games that day. I can't imagine topping that anywhere We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Do you drive a lot of the places or are you on on planes most Uh, of the time? It's a combination of both. Um, It's a lot of planes. I'm not one that's worried about the frequent flyer miles and all that because I don't have time to use them anyway. So I'm going as fast as I can to get to the next place as fast as I can Uh, get there. Gets it into Clark. Clark races away. And the mythical mastery of Caitlin Clark continues. Iowa has conquered South Carolina. And, uh, you know, uh, I I don't know how uh, about the print media, but it's definitely true about us um, on the broadcast side. You sit down to call the game and you're thinking about the game, but you're immediately thinking about how you're going to get to the next place also Mm -hmm. because you got another game. So, um it's absolutely amazing the pace, the the study, being in practice, being around the game, game day, all of it um, is worth all the travel. The travel's got to be the toughest part, though, I would think, or I, not. I think travel, um, it depends on your attitude. You know, for yeah. me, it's I, I tolerate it because I know at the end of the travel, I get to do what I love. So the reward is the game. That's the reward. Yeah. The high, you know, calling like ACC men's basketball is not a training ground. I mean, it is a place that is a reward for a long time career. And I hold that responsibility very high, uh, men and women. Uh, And, you know, the women's product has gotten so good. You know, the players and the league this year and the ACC, the talent that's coming back is just phenomenal. And, 
you know, I'm fortunate to have an incredible relationship with Caitlin Clark, who's part probably the reason why 9.9 million people tuned in to watch. Um, we are going to get to enjoy her at least one more year in college basketball. And, and she's absolutely amazing. And so, you know, there's so many stories uh, along the way and so many tales and so many crazy travel. And um, there, there's definitely when I write my book, there will be one chapter dedicated to the ridiculous travel situations that I find myself in at times, including being rescued by the National Guard one time. So <laughs> I'm not going to dive into that right now, but uh, there's so much there to unpack, but it's definitely all worth it um, because it's um, it's a, a definitely a love affair with the game. And women's basketball, I know you've been a advocate for it for decades and played it forever. But you must recognize, I'm sure, that that with the casual sports fan, it's really having a moment right now, isn't it? We all know that there's a white-black issue here because the fact of the matter is when Caitlyn did it, people were celebrating it, and they were talking about nothing but her greatness. But then the second a sister stepped up and threw it back in her face, now you got half the basketball world saying, well, you know what? That's not that's not the classiest thing to do. Yeah. That's not the way it that, the that, that, that she It was the exact same thing. It was the exact same thing. It's got a little length to it, right? It's got more than just the event. Um, there's still people talking about the way the Final Four went. And, you know, Caitlin Clark... Yeah. is absolutely amazing. We have never seen anyone like her. And I have seen them all and I've covered them all. And there are some absolutely amazing Naismith Hall of Famers out there. I mean, to start talking about some of the greats in our game. I, I'm just amazed at what she's been able to do and how much she replicates Steph Curry and how he changed the game on the men's side and how I see Caitlin doing a, a similar thing. I actually DM'd her the other day and said, you better trademark Ponytail Pete. You better trademark it right now because <laughs> good you, point. a few Pete years Maravich from now, it, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it might mean something yes. you know, to you. It might not mean anything to you now, but it, it could. What was your impression of the post game with, I mean, was that good for women's basketball, the whole thing with this and Caitlin and uh, Reese and all that? No, I don't think that's great. Uh, yeah. I'm not a big fan of that. And, Uh, I'm not a fan of it because every year we talk about sportsmanship being an emphasis in the game, men and women. And we're not consistent about how we go about managing that. And when Caitlin did the cross her face, she claims it was towards her staff. It was turned and spun into something else. Uh, But for the way the unsportsmanlike behavior at the end of the game, which I would call it egregious, and I would have, if you're going to tech, give Caitlin Clark a technical for tossing the ball behind oh, her, that was ridiculous. Uh, yeah. knowing the magnitude of what that meant at that point in the game, like these are not rookie officials, but it's, it's disappointing because on the 9.9 million rating, I'm estimating in my own intuition that we probably had 5 million new viewers. So if 5 million new people tuned in, that's what we, we got to be better. We just, I say the product is the narrative and we say all that and LSU scored 102 points. It was amazing. Okay. Yeah. And they scored 85, right? I yeah. mean, that that's, that's where we should be. Some of the other shenanigans and other antics and stuff like that. I, I, I don't mind having characters in the game. I'm not saying that because if it drives some interest, okay, but not the egregious stuff that took place. 
Tell me about 24 hours of nothing but net. Scott, this is a crazy, crazy idea. <laughs> I wanted to figure out a way that I could combine a couple of my passions. Obviously, shooting the basketball, I'm still a shooter. I still, I say on the air, shoot till your arm falls off. I'm literally doing that now. And um, my inspiration by my son, Frankie, and uh, what Special Olympics has meant to our family and families like mine. So I tried to come up with an idea. And what I came up with was 24 hours, nothing but net. It's a 24 hour free throw shooting marathon. 2023 is year five. So the first four years in my driveway, I make a hundred free throws on the top of the hour. So at the end of 24 hours, I've made 2,400 free throws. This is an incredible fitness test physically and mentally and emotionally <laughs> I do get AARP mail, but I'm out there sweating it out in my driveway because <laughs> it's really not about the free throws. What it is is a vehicle to share the stories on our 24-hour live stream of Special Olympic athletes about coaches and actors and entertainers and people that want to share a similar message about trying to help somebody who needs a little more help. And that's what Special Olympics is. It's a great landing spot for families like mine, because it helps organize and give athletes a chance to compete and it teaches healthy lifestyles and it gives them a chance to socialize and get together. And um, the competition is real. And my son is a really good athlete. And without Special Olympics, he wouldn't be able to participate in sports at, at a level that he can participate in. So it has been Incredible that in the first four years, we raised over $635,000 and I am getting close to a million. Wow. And uh, 24hoursnbn.com is a place where people can go. And if they just gave a penny for every free throw I make, that's $24. The $635,000 that we have raised, $635,000 that we have raised is all grassroots. It's a lot of 50s and 100s and people that I know. I'm using my own platform to try to, to grow the awareness and to raise some money. And it's an incredible reward. And it's, um, Coach, I used to talk about rewards and awards. You know, an award something that can sit on the shelf and you can look at it. But the reward of doing this for people that I know and families like mine that I know absolutely need the extra. It is, it's quite uplifting for everyone around it. And it's a big party now. I mean, like people are hanging out, lawn chairs, the, the special Olympic torch burns in my yard for 24 hours. The, <laughs> the Mount Pleasant police run the torch into my yard. We light the torch. Um, and, and it is a neighborhood event. And, uh, it takes me about 15 minutes to make a hundred and then, 45 minutes of other stream, live stream programming. And it's just been absolutely one of the best things I've ever done. And I had no idea. I wish I'd started it 10 years earlier <laughs> because uh, 
I, I I'm going to shoot literally till my arm falls off, but uh, I'm I'm shooting it at a very high clip. So as long as I can shoot it well, because I don't think anybody wants to turn in tune in and watch me shoot a bunch of bricks. But um, it like I said, it's what's your percentage? Well, my the first four years, my average is ninety three. So I'm when I turned 50 for my birthday, I wanted a Dr. Dish shooting machine. Most women want diamonds, pearls and uh, a trip. And my husband said, you want what? I said, yes, I'm going to use this machine to train because I still do camps and clinics and I still, you know, I'm going to take it with me and I'm going to help kids learn how to shoot. Little did I know that uh, they would become a great partner of mine in this effort to raise money for Special Olympics. And I use that machine to train myself. And it is... um. It's not easy. It's getting harder and harder to get ready for the fundraiser, but it's definitely worth it. And I'm so proud of uh, the team that we've built around it to be able to do it. And I have eight other states that are doing it with me. So I hope this becomes like the polar bear plunge one day. I hope so, too. And it surely should. What an incredible uh, event and, and fundraiser. And I'm going to be one of your contributors this year and beyond for sure. So Thank you for letting us. I hope I hope maybe a few people listening to this will will hear that as well. Uh, last thing, let's just tell us a little bit about what Frankie is doing now. I think we didn't quite mention all of the things he's up to. Well, thank you. I, I love talking about my family. Um, first of all, my oldest son Joey is going to get his master's this spring, so he's going to be finished with uh, his education. And my youngest Patrick is a Division two point guard at Emory and Henry University, and he's their starting point guard, and he's a really good player. I always have to throw this little caveat out. He's about 5'11", 6 foot, but he's got a 40-inch vertical, which is legit. So he can really play. Uh, And uh, I'm excited about how hard he loves to work and how much he loves the game, too. Uh, But my middle son, Frankie, seems to get all the attention. And thankfully, the other two boys are so great about it because they are terrific brothers and they're really good young men. Um, And uh, Frankie is a graduate of Clemson Life last spring. Clemson Life is um, a post-secondary educational experience for students with intellectual disability. Obviously, uh, I mentioned that Frankie has Down syndrome. Life is an acronym. Learning is for everyone. Clemson has the absolutely most magnificent, incredible pilot um, launch and program that is in the country. It is highly supported by athletics. The leadership from Dr. Clements, the president of the university, all the way through athletics. But Frankie is, um, I mean, to think that he went to college and he graduated is just beyond anything we thought mm-hmm. 25 years ago. And and right now he is living at Clemson, same apartment, same roommates, Clemson grads of the life program. He's working two jobs that he can walk to. There's no need for transportation. He instacarts his groceries. He walks downtown for dinner. And his his job he has two jobs and he works three or four hour shifts which is right it's perfect. Mm-hmm. He uh, was in a fraternity. He was uh, a manager for women's basketball. He played intramurals and he worked jobs and he went to class while he was a student. So there's no doubt that he had a full college experience and with a lot of guidelines and a lot of supports he's capable. And the wonderful thing is. There are more programs like Clemson Life starting to pop up. Dave Doran, the football coach at NC State, who is a friend of mine, he and Sarah uh, made a $1.25 million gift to the university. It's not for a life program. It's for students that get in and that need some executive management, maybe time management or some organizational skills. 
or some reminders or some redirecting, but they are students that are, are on campus that just need a little extra help. The life program would be a little bit different. And, and I am efforting NC State in that direction uh, more than you know. <laughs> I'll even tell you this. I took Mr. Wendell Murphy to a meeting with me. Really? Yes. So okay. I ain't messing around, Scott. You're going big. That. Yeah. Yes, that's going big. You know, <laughs> that is big when you bring Mr. Murphy. Uh, but um, what NC State has failed to realize is that Mr. Murphy has a granddaughter who's on the autism spectrum and Jimmy V has a grandson. They would be their first two students in an NC State life program. So I'm putting it out there because I'm putting the full court press on them now. Yeah. Now that, that Coach Doran and Sarah have opened up the door, I think that they need to open it up a little bit wider. Scott, think about all the years you've been to Clemson. I've been going to Clemson for decades and never saw Clemson for the way I see it now. Mm-hmm. And it's such a unique place and, and such a special place. And uh, I'm so grateful that like my mom said, we didn't do something wrong. We did something right. And Frankie is all that's right with the world. That's a great way to close it. Uh, Debbie Antonelli, thank you so much for joining us today. Scott, I'm so grateful for your time. And it's so good to see you again after, you know, crossing in a media room or crossing on press row. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm so grateful for our friendship over all these years. Me too. That's Debbie Antonelli. I'm Scott Fowler, and this is Sports Legends of the Carolinas. Remember, you'll find much more about this interview and about all of our guests, including Steph Curry, Roy Williams, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and Don Staley, in our Sports Legends book. It's scheduled to be published in fall of 2023. Pre-order your copy now at sportslegendsbook.com. Thanks so much for listening to Sports Legends of the Carolinas, a production of the Charlotte Observer. This show is produced by Lou May Ali Sally, Jeff Siner, and Kata Stevens. The sports editor of the Charlotte Observer is Lydia Craver, and the executive editor is Raina Cash. Davin Coburn is McClatchy's director of audio. For lots more sports content and to continue supporting this kind of work, please visit charlotteobserver.com and consider a digital subscription. And connect with me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fowler or email at sfowler at charlotteobserver.com. See you next time.